Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Govindam Paramanandam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Kritovande Bhagavanto Puna Punaham Om Okay, we got to cut down this tree of samsara with the firm axe of non-attachment. That non-attachment is born out of the understanding that although mitya, the apparent reality, is juicy and sexy and attractive and wonderful and seems to promise all sorts of great pleasures and powers, in fact it's really just a dream. And uh, when you when you really get mature, you understand that. That's why most people don't get uh, enlightened until their thirties, uh, forties. Usually is the earliest. Usually thirties is about the earliest, because when you're in your twenties, you you still think there's something in the world. In your thirties, you're starting to question: Is there anything in the world or not? You you've seen seen that a lot of it's not real but you still think maybe there's something there. By the time you're 40, you huh, you either go get married to your boss, to your secretary, and, <laughs> and buy a Porsche and try to start over again, or you get dispassionate and you become spiritual. <laughs> so when you get mature, then you understand there's really nothing here in this world that can give you lasting satisfaction. Having said that, if you want to enjoy this world, enjoy it, but just don't expect the, the, the pleasure to last. That's all. It will be temporary. If you're happy with temporary happiness, then be happy with temporary happiness. But being happy with temporary happiness means being happy with a lot of unhappiness. And it's really hard to be happy with unhappiness. So it's better just to go for the truth, to find out what the self is and to establish yourself uh, as consciousness, as the knower of the sansara. So, uh, so uh, to, to get there, we, we uh, earlier, I think it was earlier today or yesterday, I can't remember anymore. It just seems like one big long experience, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems like we've been sitting in this room for eternity. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we discussed the values. Was that earlier today? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Values, and the values are what? To help you... Uh, develop dispassion and discrimination to look at yourself and see what uh, what values are, are, are hindering you on your spiritual path and what values are um, helping you 
and then you cultivate those values that are hindering you and you get rid of those values that are harming you, that are not helping. That's, so now he's going to uh, talk about values again in this chapter as an, as an aid to moksha, as a, as a, as a big help. And uh, Krishna said, in this, in this world, uh, two, two basic dispositions, in other words, there's two basic personality types. If you like astrology or you like Enneagram or any of those things, you'll, you'll be interested in this idea. Uh, it, the Gita says there's two basic types. Um, and it's going to describe those two basic types. And you can see where you uh, fit on this scale, on this, in, this, in, this, um, in which category you belong. In this world, two basic dispositions uh, prevail, the sattvic and the rajasic, tamasic. So we have three gunas and two types of people. So one type of person is predominantly sattvic with a little bit of rajas and tamas. Those are your spiritual types. They tend to be sattvic. And then the other type is what? The other type is rajasic and tamasic, basically. So that's, that's, the, that's the division between these two types. And how, how do you know if you're a sattvic personality or not? How do you determine uh, that? Well, you, you, you look at your values, and here, here are the characteristics and values of a sattvic person. Okay. Uh, fearlessness. Okay. Why, are, why are these people fearless? Yeah, because they know that, that there's nothing to fear. <laughs> they know that, that the, the objects are empty because they have clear knowledge. Remember, sattva guna gives you clear knowledge. If your mind is predominantly sattvic, you won't be confused or deluded. You won't project or deny. The rajasic and tamasic types, they're always projecting. They're denying and then they project. Those are the two, the hallmarks of a, of a rajasic tamasic person. They don't want to see or acknowledge what they don't like or don't believe in, and they project something else in its place. You, you see, uh, it, well, it's just every day. You see it in yourself operating all the time. Putting something, hearing something in somebody's words that isn't there because you don't want to hear it. Arjuna did this to a Krishna two or three times, didn't he? He, he didn't put anything there, but he purposely didn't hear. Well, if, <coughs> if you're real Rajasic, <coughs> you will put something in the place of the truth and you'll deny the truth. You don't want to face it. 
like our President Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with that woman. That's what he said, remember? Well, you probably, that was before your time, maybe. <laughs> but when, when they got him in front of the, the uh, commission, uh, he did have sex with that woman, but he said on national television in front of 100 million people, I did not have sex with that woman. Well, now that's called denial. <laughs> you willfully cover up some part of yourself. Generally, it's not willful. In his case, he was a, a, an accomplished liar. So, <laughs> But most of us just unconsciously hide the things that we don't want to see about ourselves. That's a rajasic, a tamasic person. And then we project the problem on somebody else. And, we, and then we point the finger and we say, that's your problem. And you, keep, and you don't realize that when you point the finger at somebody, three of those fingers are pointing at you. Right? You go like this, huh? Three fingers are pointing to you, but you're pointing over here. That means what? You can't face the facts about yourself, so you... You blame your wife, you blame your kids, you blame the government, you blame the church, you blame anybody, your boss, you blame your husband, it doesn't matter. You have a good, there's always plenty of objects around that you can blame for your, uh, for your problems. This is the Thomasic Rajasic type. Those, that, that tendency is built in. Thomas hides and Rajas projects. This so this is the primary psychological mechanism that's disturbing you. And you need to understand that and look for that. Pay attention to that. Okay? So he says, he's talking first about the sattvic one. They don't, they're not fearful because why? They see things clearly. Rajas and Thomas, your mind is what? Confused. You're always confused. So... You can't see things clearly, so then you deny and you project. Anyway, clarity of mind, yes, we understand that. Why it's clear? Because there's no rajas in it. The mind is clear. It reflects awareness beautifully. So things are known. Right? And what? And it's not dull. It's not muddy and dull. So you see things clearly. Charity. These people are charitable. They're, uh, they're giving people. They're not taking people. They're not grabbing people. Uh, Rajasic, Tamasic people are grabbing people. I want, I want, I want. Gimme, gimme, gimme. What about me? In every situation, what about me? Well, these Sattvic people, they're happy to give because they're, they're secure. Because they have knowledge. They're secure people. So they're generous people. They can give without feeling they're, lo they're losing anything. Uh, Tamasic and Rajasic people don't like to give because they feel they're losing. They don't see they're gaining by giving. They seek they're losing by giving. So they're tight. They hold. They don't want to share their feelings with you. They don't want to share their thoughts with you. They don't want to share their time with you. They don't want to share their money with you. They don't want to share. Hmm? Oh, no, no. It's all about me. I might lose something. There's fear there. 
in these people. Thomas is fear. Tom, why, why are you fearful? Because what? You're in the dark. There's a cloud over your consciousness. And when it's dark, what happens? If they turn out the lights here, immediately everybody will go, oh, what's happening? And you'll think, oh, maybe there's a, a, a boogeyman, a thief behind the cabinet. You, when the lights are on, you wouldn't think there's, a, there's somebody hiding in the cabinet going to steal something or hurt you, will you? But as soon as the lights go out, you start, oh my God, what's going on? Because huh? you're fearful. Because you can't see. So these people, their minds are cloudy and they're full of fear. Hmm? Uh, judicious restraint. That means they're able to what? Think about what hap Think about their desires and fears before they act. Hmm? <clears throat> they they're able to restrain themselves. It doesn't mean they don't have desires. It doesn't mean they don't act. It means they think about it before they act. Because <laughs> they understand. There are consequences for this. If you're clear, you'll think about the consequences of what you do before you do it. If you're rajasic, you won't. You'll just go do it. And then you'll have to pick up the pieces later. Hmm? Then you'll collect karma later, and then you'll be agitated because you have to get karma. And then you say, why am I getting this bad karma? And your mind will be so busy, you what? You say, that couldn't be my karma. And then you'll blame somebody. You'll project it on somebody else. All tapping, all the time. So these people can control themselves. They can think. Think it out. They're, they're intelligent people. You should run your life by knowledge, not by your feelings. You should think deliberately and put forth actions intelligently, consciously act in every situation. Keeping in mind all the knowledge that you have, right? Self-knowledge and worldly knowledge. Put it all together and see what's, what's reasonable, what's sensible, what's intelligent here. And if you've got feelings telling you to do something, you should think twice about it. Hmm? Understand? Otherwise, you're going to collect karma. You'll definitely collect karma because if, if you disturb your environment, you disturb the people around you, then what? Boom, that'll come back on you. And you don't want it to come back on you. So, judicious restraint, a performance of sacred rituals. This is a sacred ritual. You go, we're doing, we're inquiring into into God, into Brahman, into the self, and so this is a this qualifies you as a sattvic activity, sattvic people. You want to know the truth. You're truth lovers. It's great. It's lovely to see so many people who love the truth, and will devote a week out of their life to what understanding the truth. It's a sattvic quality. Yeah. Alignment of thought, word, and deed. We discussed that earlier. Straight. Yeah. Get your, what, what you think and what you feel and what you do should be all on the same page. Straight, steady, clear line between your thoughts and your actions. No crooked business. Yeah. Absence of hurting. Why, why, are sat, why do sattvic people not hurt? Because they have empathy. They have sympathy. They have good values. They're in harmony with dharma. The number one dharma, the, what's the number one uh, dharma? What's the most important, most uh, highest dharma of all? Ahimsa. Yeah, ahimsa. Non-injury. Non-injury in what? In thought, 
word and deed. That's the number one value. And so they're, because they know what it feels like to be hurt. Rajasic and Tomasic people are so insensitive, they don't know, any, they don't feel anything really. They're just too dull. So they injure people. They can be very cruel, in fact. Thomas can be very cruel people, and they'll, they'll torture you, but they won't feel anything. That's really, huh? They'll just torture you, they don't, but they don't feel your pain. In fact, they get a little pleasure out of making your life miserable. That's a cruel, Tomasic quality here. Huh? But the Sattvic people, they, they feel your, they understand, they sympathize, they empathize. So, so that's a good, that's a real good quality. If you have a hard time feeling what other people are feeling, then what? It means you're lacking sattva. And you should try to what? Try to feel, try to empathize with people. Truthfulness, that's an obvious one. Renunciation, happy to get rid of things. They don't feel they're losing when they let go. They feel they're gaining when they let go. When you let go of something, you gain something. What? You gain peace. And they understand the upside of letting go of things. So they're not attached. Rajasic people are always attached. They always hang on to things. They're, they've got raga. In fact, the word raga means attachment. They need things to what? To, make, to prop them up, to make them feel happy, to make them feel secure. So they won't let go of anything. They're, huh, they're tight. Can't let go. But these sattvic people, uh, what do they do? They're what? They can renounce. They can let go. That's the idea. So if you have that, that's a great quality. Hmm? Let go of your idea. If your idea is not in, in, right, if it's not in harmony with the situation, if you see that you're not going to get what you want, drop your idea. <laughs> you see it's not appropriate to think like this in a certain situation, then let go of your idea. But these Tomasic people, they'll hold on to an idea till, and they'll keep trying to force that idea on the situation over and over and over again. And, and, and make you accept their idea. Even though it doesn't going to work for them, it's, they, they don't care. Rajasic people, the same story. Right. So they don't want to let go. Ability to resolve negative emotions. Hmm? It doesn't mean sattvic people don't have negative emotions. It means they what? They're, they know how to what? Purify those emotions. What's the number one way to clean your emotions? Karma yoga. That's what we're going to talk about. I'll talk about tonight. Yeah, I'm supposed to give a little talk on karma yoga to these, the yogi people. We're going to talk about that tonight. The way you get rid of negativity is what you practice karma yoga. That's what it's for. Um, Absence of calumny. What is that? That's deceit, I guess, isn't it? I'll look that up. I looked it up once before, but I forgot. It's an old word. Anyway, compassion. Compassion comes from sattva. Yeah, look it up. C-A... 
L-U-M-N-Y. Uh, absence of ardent longing. Well, we had that before. Not longing for things. Oh, you know how you can, you can long for a, a relationship for years? 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You can be 60 years old and still looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Still longing. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe God will give me Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Yeah. You keep longing and hoping, 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 but maybe, maybe I'll get lucky and it's going to happen. Well, these people are, you know, hope is the most useful, useless emotion there is. Huh? Hope is, is, what is, what does it mean? Uh, Calumny is slander. Oh, yeah. Defamation, aspersion. Oh, yeah. Backbiting. <clears throat> oh, yeah, casting aspersion. Saying bad things about people. That's blaming, that's projecting. That's Rogers and Thomas. Um, absent. Softness. Gentleness, sweetness. Softness. Modesty. Not showing off, being modest, humble. Absence of physical agitation. <laughs> Brilliance. Because oh, the awareness shines on that kind of mind, on that personality. So they're brilliant people. Composure. Composure means comfortable, relaxed, composed. Everything's together. Nothing uncomfortable. They're not uncomfortable people. Rajasic people are always uncomfortable. They can never be comfortable in any situation. Their minds are too disturbed. They're always fidgeting around. They're tense. They always want something. Fortitude, courage. These are courageous people. They have, they have self-confidence. Sattvic people have self-confidence. They are able to face things. Whereas Tomasic people hide from everything. They're, huh? They're ra Rajasic and Tomasic people hide from things. And they actually, all that aggression you see in a, in a Rajasic person, it's born out of self-confidence, of feeling small. They become aggressive because they're fearful. Have you ever noticed, you know, I used to live in the mountains and I had to kill these pack rats to live there. And... Uh, when I'd get one cornered, they were all right, they'd leave you alone, but when you got them in a corner and you, they, you, they know you were going to attack them, they'd attack you. Huh? Aggressive, because they're full of fear. They think, okay, the way out of this, I've got to attack. Right? So these people are, are small-minded people. They're aggressive because they're full of fear. So that fear makes them aggressive and they strike out. Fight or flight. Huh? That's Arjuna's problem, isn't it? He's, he's Rajas. Fight or flight. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to run. He's afraid he's going to have to kill these people. So forth. Cleanliness. Uh, cleanliness is the same as purity, and I, I, I gave you a nice definition of that earlier, is what? The... 
ability or the willingness to expose your mind to anybody. It means your mind, mind's clean. You're not ashamed of what you think and feel. You can, when somebody asks you about yourself, you can just tell them honestly. You're not, you have nothing to hide. Huh? There's all these people, they don't want anybody to know about them. You know why they don't want, you know why everybody wants their privacy? Because they have bad thoughts. If you had good and kind and charitable and decent thoughts, you wouldn't care. You could share your thoughts with anybody. But you don't want anybody to know. Because you have negative, uncomfortable thoughts in your mind. It means your mind is dirty. Your body can be very clean, but your mind can be very dirty. So cleanliness and purity is what? Openness to let anybody see what you are. You're not ashamed. And lack of exaggerated self-opinion. You don't think you're too wonderful. You are wonderful, but you're not too wonderful. <laughs> okay, so these are, this is the, now these are qualities that belong to sattvic people. Now what? Now I will describe in detail the impulses, thoughts of a sunless personality. Asura means away from the surya, the sun. The face turned away from the light. Their faces, their, their backs are to the self. The sattvic people are facing the self. They're facing the light. Huh? The, the asuras are turned away from the self. They can't see the light. It's behind them. It's hidden. So the world is dark for them. And this is what? Hippo he, he explains it. Hypocrisy with reference to dharma. They act like they're really doing the right thing, but actually they're cheating, lying, stealing behind the surface. Hmm? They want you to think they're very, very, they're very, very wonderful and pure and holy and spiritual and all. But if you could actually be a fly on the wall and watch them when nobody's around, you'll see what? <laughs> they're hypocrites. They're up to all sorts of no good. Hypo hypocrisy. They'll, they'll swear up and down, they tell the truth, and then they'll turn right around and lie. A tendency toward anger and frustration. Anger comes from rajas. Why? When you have a lot of desire, you're going to be frustrated. If you're feeling frustrated, what? it means you have too much desire. And why, why? Why? Because life's not giving you what you want. So you're frustrated. That's the source of emotions. The anger is all what? Sourced in your desire. Hmm? That's why you're frustrated. You expect the world to give you something it's not giving you, so you feel angry, you feel frustrated. Hmm? It isn't because of your mom and your pop and the church and, and God and all, all. It's not all, it's none of that. It's not, huh? It's not the government or anybody. Nobody's frustrating you. You're what? You want stuff. <laughs> and, and life isn't giving you the stuff you want. So you're frustrated. You're angry. That's the reason. So, so these people are always frustrated. 
a need for respect from others. They care what people think. Huh? Why? Because they're insecure. They don't have confidence. They're not secure. They need you to like them. They need you to respect them. They demand respect. If they don't get respect, they, they, they get upset. They get angry. They'll start fighting with you because you, you don't respect them. Lack of discrimination. They make bad choices. Why? Because their fears and desires keep their mind too disturbed for them to use discrimination. So what? So they make bad choices. And that further makes them angry because then they get karma they don't want. And then what do they do? They turn around and blame the world or blame the government or blame the church or blame something. They never accept the responsibility for it, for their own desires. An inability, an inability to know what needs to be done. They'll just do what they want to do. They won't see what's appropriate in a situation because they have to act. When you're rajasic, you have to act quickly because the rajas is painful. Rajas is, is itself, desire is painful. Desire is suffering. That's what the Buddha said. He said, desire is suffering. And when you're desiring, you, you want to get rid of that feeling instantly. So what do you do? You immediately do something to try to get rid of your desire. Huh? And so, and it doesn't really matter if the, the situation is conducive or not. You just do it anyway. Hmm? And you cause a huge disturbance. And the, then the reality doesn't give you what you want because your action isn't appropriate to the situation. So then you blame, huh? You blame the situation. You, then you have a whole lot, a whole lot of reasons why. Hey, hey, they're wrong. You're wrong. You know, and you want to justify. It. You will need to be right, huh? Because you, you know, getting rid of this desire is extremely important to you. And as soon as you get a little bit of relief, another desire comes, and you're in pain. So you do another action. Huh? As soon as you get rid of that one, more desire comes. And what you do another action. So you just keep doing more and more, and you're frustrated all the time. When things work for you, then what? You feel really, really powerful and wonderful. And, uh, and then that, that makes you feel, oh my God, now I'm really onto something. And so you increase your desire, and then suddenly you get blocked, and boom, you come crashing down again. So these people are always emotional, going up and down and up and down and up and down. It just never ends. And an inability to remove oneself from unconducive situations. Huh? They can't extract themselves from a situation. They'll keep trying to get out of the situation what's there, that, whether it's there, what they want is there or not. And instead of just backing off and leaving and say, I'll try again, or maybe I'm not right, no, they'll just keep sticking in there and trying to get what they want out of that situation, even if that situation has nothing to give them. This is mostly in relationship to people. They'll try to get you to do what you, they want you to do for them, even if you're, you can't or you won't or, or whatever. 
They won't, they won't back up. They won't back off and leave a situation they have not. The sattvic people have renunciation. They'll say, oh, this is inappropriate. I should get out of here. And so they'll like, excuse me, I have to go. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And off they go. They got, huh? But the rajasic people, they'll stay there and just uh, make trouble and trouble and trouble. Inner turmoil. They're always disturbed inside. And a tendency toward Im improper conduct. Right. Because their desires are so strong, it forces them to behave uh, improperly in various situations. And what, oh, this is, gets really awful here. I don't know if I should read it or not. <laughs> where, where, where do these people come from? These people are born out of lustful unions and are consequently driven by passion and little else. They believe the universe is an accident, that it serves no purpose, and that there is no God. Materialists to the core, they see themselves as the body and believe that creation is merely a matter of a sperm inseminating an egg. Ethics means nothing to them. They play fast and loose with the truth and are so obsessed with what they want, they readily bend the rules to suit their purposes. These enemies of the world are incapable of reason and exhibit a tendency toward deceit and cruelty. Because they are pretentious and grandiose, they desire things that are nearly impossible to obtain, and they are therefore continually frustrated and disappointed. Filled with pride, they demand respect from others. Same idea. They live on hope and engage themselves in the pursuit of material goals for the purpose of sense enjoyment. Willful to the core, they feel that what they have is the result of their own cleverness and depend for their self-esteem on whatever material goods they have managed to accumulate. They think of themselves as masters of the universe and revel in the destruction of those who stand in their way. I am an enjoyer, a big success, powerful and happy. I'm from a good family, a classy, cultured person. I'm generous. I'll perform acts of charity to show the world how good I am. This is how they think. Because of their arrogant, self-glorifying delusions, they continually suffer pain. These hateful and cruel wrongdoers are barely human, and birth after birth, I repeatedly dispatch them to the lowest and most painful wounds. As long as they continue to think this way, they will never realize who I am. These, the three doorways to this mentality are desire, anger, and greed. Impelled by these unholy urges and contemptuous of the scriptures, these souls rarely mature nor do they find happiness in the world, much less in a higher life. But those who avoid these three gates to darkness follow what is good and reach a higher life. Should you have a doubt about what to do in this life, let Scripture guide you in what is to be done. <laughs> Better watch out, Krishna's going to throw you into another dark, deep, awful womb. 
You guys don't have to worry about it. This is, <laughs> but you may have met people like this. I did. I was in business, and I traveled. I've been around the world. I did I, many times, and I've lived really a weird, strange, interesting life, and I met people like this. Evil, really evil people. Really, really full of themselves. Really aggressive and angry and vain. Huh? Yes, sir. But still they are part of Ishwara's creation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> That's that Tamaguna, Rajaguna. It's interesting that there is preference in the creation. What? It's interesting that in part of the creation is to prefer. We prefer. Some part of us is not really preferring something. Like this is our neutrality. No, I, di I didn't understand. Like you said that these people are part of the creation, right? Yeah. So, and you say, oh, what a shame. So there is this part of us that prefers something. Than well, us. no, we just feel sorry for them. We're just compassionate. They were born with those gunas. You, you, they can't help it. I'm saying there is like a filter or a layer that is preferring. Yeah, well, you're supposed to prefer sattva if you want moksha. That's interesting. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to be so disturbed. How will you... In fact, these people don't even believe in God. <laughs> so how are they ever going to get free? I mean, huh? they're just totally caught up in their own egos, in their own lives. I, I feel actually feel sorry for them, you know, pity for them, because it wasn't, it wasn't their fault. Not, it's not your fault that you, you've got those parents. Usually it's environments. Because they're just a permanent underclass of people who just keep recycling. Souls keep recycling over and over and over again. They get born into the same situation. They keep developing those vasanas. And what? They just go round and round, round and round. They rarely climb out of their suffering. That's what he's saying here. Because they're so attached to themselves. <coughs> to their view. It's very painful. <clears throat> but yeah, they're part of creation. Now, Arjuna didn't like that when he saw that, did he? In that vision in the 11th chapter, when Arjuna saw the ugliness and the pain and the destruction and all the suffering, huh? he didn't like it at all, did he? He said, take that away, I don't want to see that. <laughs> but you have to see that. You have to see that ugly part of yourself. Of course, nobody in this room is like that, really. But we all have those tendencies in us. Hmm? We all have those tendencies. And so it's just those rajasic and tamasic tendencies that you need to keep an eye on. And when you catch yourself feeling like that, frustrated or angry or cruel, or when you're, you feel needy and insecure and so forth and so on, yeah, have a stop. Check it out. See where it's coming from. Right? Start to do your sadhana. Right. Yes, sir. Uh, one question on I thought about that because when you think that further, you come to the conclusion that, for example, the Holocaust is uh, basically an effect of God's will, right? Yeah. And that's that's the ultimate truth in a way. So, all. Well, no, it isn't. It's not really God's will. Uh, in other words, what are you saying? Is that God is contaminated by Rajas and Thomas? 
Because that makes it sound like God is a person who's willing this on. No. No? Okay. Okay. Or put it differently, that it's not, uh, that it's not a human fault. It's not a human fault. Fault. It's a human error. Yeah, it's not, it's not a human error, that's right. But it's, you can't blame God for it either. Now that's, that, that's the, and the reason you can't, and we explained it earlier, you, you probably did, I didn't explain it at that time, but this is a good opportunity to explain it. The reason you can't blame God for it is because in the first stage of creation, in the, in the, in when there's predominant sattva, there's no Rajas and Thomas. Rajas and Thomas are suppressed. So in, the, in God's mind, in, in the mind of God, in the, in the Sattva Guna, in the pure creations, uh, there's no Rajas and Thomas. It's just pure knowledge and pure light. And that's called Ishwara. But in the second and third stage of creation, Thomas and Rajas come, and that's when ignorance and desire come. And so, huh? Where do they come from? Where do they come from? They yeah, they come out of ignorance. Now, Ishwara is not Maya. Maya is Ishwara, but Ishwara is not Maya. So Ish huh? Maya is something other than the self. And it's some huh? Yeah. That Sat Asat Vilakshana, Maya, which is the creator, is is not identical with the self. It's only a power or a shakti in the self, and, huh? And the difference between Maya and in in the self is what, like the difference between a, an a, a potter, a, an artist, and his his talent, his artistic talent. Hmm? An art, a, a, an artist has artistic talent, but an artist is not his artistic talent. An artist is the one who wields that artistic talent or makes that po that talent possible so this power of maya is in awareness but awareness is disassociated from it and the reason it's there and this is a very very interesting idea the reason it's there is because if if awareness can't create this world then it ceases to be limitless doesn't it <laughs> it's huh it's limited by its inability to create. And since consciousness has all power in it, it has to be able to create what? This world or anything else. If there's anything else other than this world, it can create that too. But consciousness is not contaminated by the evil. But when the jivas come, okay, this is in the second creation, the jivas appear and then uh, the material world appear, then the jivas are ignorant of Ishwara. And they then they perform actions huh, out of ignorance, fear and desire. They perform actions out of fear and desire. And that's what causes the evil. So the evil doesn't belong to Ishwara, it belongs to the jivas. By what? Owing to their misunderstanding of themselves. But it's not their fault. They didn't choose, that's right. They did not choose to be ignorant. But if they want to be happy, they're going to have to what? 
acknowledge the ignorance that's operating in them and figure some way to what? To, to neutralize that ignorance. Because it's going to operate on you whether you like it or not. When you decide that you don't want to be ignorant and you know what ignorance is, then you can what? Then you can remove it. But until you do, then what? You just have to keep suffering the ignorance, the effects of the ignorance over and over and over again. In other words, you just keep acting out the vasanas that you uh, have created when you're ignorant of yourself. Selfish, harmful, hurtful vasanas. Yes? Can you explain again the difference between Maya and Ishwara? Uh, Ishwara, okay, Ishwara 1 and Ishwara 2. Maya's Ishwara 2. <laughs> Ishwara, my, let's, call, let's call awareness Ishwara 1 or Paramatma. Okay, that's another name. We have several other names for it. But in the scripture, the word Ishwara refers to both awareness and awareness plus maya. Now, awareness, there is no creation in awareness, is there? Because it's non-dual. Where, where, there, where there's only awareness, it's impossible for there to be anything else, isn't it? <coughs> this is why the scripture says that awareness is uncreated, unborn. There is no world in, in awareness. Awareness is pure. It has no qualities. There is no objects in it. No, it, time, no time, no space, no change, nothing in there. Now, so... It's not going to create anything. <laughs> but it the potential, it has the potential to create. That potential is, is, called, is called desire or ignorance. Yeah, I call it beautiful, intelligent ignorance. It's, uh -huh. it's, uh -huh. it's, it's ignorance what? That's very beautiful and very intelligent. If you look at this creation, it's really intelligent, isn't it? It is so beautifully designed. It's unbelievable how everything works and everything fits. The beauty, the intricacy of everything, the laws, the rules, the bodies, the minds, everything. It, it's just a perfect machine. It's dreamed up by a mind that is really, really intelligent. And it's really attractive, isn't it? Huh? This world is attractive. Believe me. That's why the jivas are out there in it all the time. huh? It's attractive. They want those juicy, sexy little objects that Ishwar has made. Because huh? they feel incomplete. Huh? They see that. huh? But what? The jivas don't see Ishwara. That, that's what I mean. They're ignorant of themselves. So they don't see Ishwara that's behind. They don't see pure consciousness behind it. They just see Ishwara's creation. Maya. And they're, and that, the, the, and they're deluded by that. 
They're, huh? They think this body's real. They think all the other bodies are real. Huh? They, they're fascinated by the novelty and the beauty and the excitement that they feel in this, in this creation. The fears excite them. Their desires excite them. They're always excited and chasing objects all the time. And they don't see what awareness. Did that help you? Huh? A guy? No? Yes. Okay, good. It's just a power. It, and it's not it's not the same as awareness, but it's not different from awareness either. The point the thing is that you could say that yes, awareness is the cause of everything, but awareness doesn't what isn't a doer, so it isn't causing anything. There's it, it, it's the uncaused cause, so it can't make something happen. Understand? Now, if you say, if you say, for example, if you put, if you burn your, if you put your finger in a in a in a on a flame in a fire, and then you say to the fire, "You burn me." Now, is that true? Did the fire burn you? Yes and no. Uh, yes and no. That's right. <laughs> it, the fire, you got burned when you stuck your finger in the fire, but did the fire reach out and grab your finger? Huh? It's the fire's nature to burn. It's not doing anything. It's just burning. That's what it does. But because I'm ignorant of its nature, I stick my finger in it and then I get burned. So yes, the fire burned me, but no, the fire didn't burn me. So yes, the, the awareness created this universe, but no, awareness didn't create this universe. That's what we mean by Maya. This creative power is, 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 uh, is belongs what? seemingly belongs to awareness, but it doesn't belong to awareness at all because awareness is always free of it. This is the most difficult concept to understand. If you understand that, then you're free. <laughs> uh, then you don't need Vedanta. Uh, in fact, all of Vedanta is to get you to understand that simple fact. See? That this creative power in you uh, is not you. And that the objects that it creates are not you. That they're not real. Hmm? That they're only what? Images. Beautiful images. Empty images generated by Maya out of yourself that look solid and substantial and real and attractive. And they look attractive. Why? Because consciousness pervades them. So all these forms look, look beautiful and alive. They look real. Because the reality is right behind them and it's shining through them and penetrating every atom of this universe is penetrated by consciousness. So everything looks really cool, looks beautiful. And I want it, I want it, I want it. Uh, but it's all a dream created by Maya. Then he, how are we doing? What's it, seven? 
Oh, just about done. Eight. Huh? eight. At eight, we're going to quit, right? Uh, no. Oh, no, no. Okay, 8.30. Okay, good. We're coming along good then. Huh? At 8.30. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the, the time incorrect. Any more questions? Yeah, a hood. Uh, it goes back to not this chapter, but something we talked about uh, earlier on. Um, could you talk a bit about the relation between the gunas and the vasanas? That's one question. And another, if the gunas are a kind of a general thing going on. Yeah, the they are. Like yeah. Global. Yeah, they're global. Say. That's right. How do, do you account, how can one account for the fact that you can talk in terms of personality of a, a single person? You could say, well, this is a tamasic person. How, how no, does you can't. No, you can't. You can't. That's just a personification. You can't talk about a, a, a person. In fact, it's wrong to say he's tamasic, she's tamasic, uh, he's rajasic, she's sattvic, and so forth. Uh, that's that's incorrect. You can't can't really say that. These are just tendencies that what belong to different vas that that color the, your vasanas. Okay, they they the vasanas are just the momentum from your past action. Hmm? Vasanas are not physical. They're the momentum. The tent, the, how it's left over from an action. Whenever you do, huh? You know what momentum is. You do an action, and it stops. The action stops, but the energy goes on a little bit, for a little while. I have, I have a friend who, who's a very good friend. He's a Vedanta person, and he's a momentum trader. He makes millions every year using a momentum idea to trade in the stock market. He's one of the best in the world. He's a, he's a, he's a Vedanta student. And uh, he said his trading got really good in the last few years since he got Vedanta because, and Karma Yoga because he got control of his emotions. He can control the feed and the, the greed and the fear and, and do it. That, so Vasanas are just what? They're, that's called Prarabdha. Prabdha means momentum from an action. Right? So, so when you do an action, that leaves a trace of momentum in, the, in your unconscious. And the unconscious is Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. So those actions are going to be either what? S some combination of Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. Every action will have all three gunas because reality is non-dual. But one guna will be predominant and the other two will be what? Will be suppressed in it. So the gunas are just are just energies that are, or momentums or that, that are there. There are energies that color the different vasanas. Huh? So greed greed is what rajoguna. It's an extroverted. It, it forces you to go out. Tamaguna forces you to hide. And sattvaguna reveals objects. Hmm? And there are certain thoughts are sattvic and certain thoughts are tamasic and certain thoughts are rajasic. Hmm? So did that help? Mm -hmm. yeah. The vasanas are just the the the, 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 the
causal body is is like um, it's like a storehouse where you store where all the karmas of all the beings are stored all the vasanas and karmas the vasanas and the karmas are the same thing vasanas are the the, the egg end and the and the karmas are the chicken end <laughs> Huh? The vasanas are the eggs, and the and the karmas are the chicken, right? And when the chicken what gets to be a chicken, then it lays an egg, creates another vasana. So, huh? The, those are just two ways of looking at the same force, because the vasana produces an action almost instantly. It's just in a, by fifty of a second, the vasana forces you to act. So you can't really separate the action from the vasana from the impulse or the motivation and those are stored here this is the storehouse and there's a little man in there he's called Chitragupta it's a <laughs> yeah he's a little Indian guy he, he's got a that's right and he's got a little pencil a pen and he writes down all of your actions keeps track of everything that's called Ishwara Ishwara remembers every single action and he gives the results to you at the right time. After he's considered the effect of what? Of your action on the field of existence. It's amazing, huh? It's an amazing mind. Huh? It holds the actions off until the right time and the right place. And then it creates a, a, the result huh? and delivers it right to you. You, the results of your action never go to me. Huh? Otherwise, the law of karma is not going to work. If you can escape the results of your action, huh, the law of karma is not going to work, and nobody will get out of bed in the morning because you don't know where your actions are going to go or whose actions you're going to get or what's going to happen. You'll have no idea what's going on. But there's an absolute consistency between the vasanas and the actions and the results of the action so you can you can predict you can plan your day and you can do purposeful work because uh, it's all carefully regulated and governed and controlled by Ishwara he's called Antaryamin and it means the inner ruler or the inner controller and in order for him to what to control and govern everything regulate everything he's got to write it all down so he's called Chitragupta, and he keeps track of all your karmas. He's not making up the karma. He makes the he makes the vasanas in the first place, and just assigns them to various jivas, and then then what? And then he just facilitates the karmas. And if you don't like your karma, then you can change it. But huh? But if you if you don't understand that you can change your karma. Then you, then he just keeps making you run, run the same program over and over and over again. It's like a, like a dog. A dog never ever changes its nature, does it? A dog never sits and thinks, "Geez, I'm so tired of barking. I, it's really a lot of work to bark at everything. I think I'd like to tweet like a bird. <laughs> no, I think I like to meow like a cat. Huh? They never think like that, do they?" Their program, they have no free will, so they can't, huh? they can't alter their programs. 
So Ishwar just said, okay, just keep doing the same old program. We need dogs. We always need dogs. You can just keep re re being reborn as a dog over and over and over and over again. That's the way it works. Only humans have got the free will. So they can make choices and work their way out of this karmic mess. Remember, the first six, chap first six chapters were all about exercising your free will. Before they even brought Ishwara into it, the field where you're acting, they said, hey, Arjuna, get off your butt. You've got a job to do. You've got to motivate yourself. You've got to get out of this pickle you're in. Here's what you need to do. You've got to start with your karma yoga, and then we'll teach you the rest. But you've got to get off your butt. Quit whining and complaining, worrying about what you're going to do and what the results of the action are going to be. You've got to do your work here. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, when you talk about this intelligent uh, Ishvara, one uh, question popped up in the mind was about Chit Akash. Can you, do you know about this uh, words, Chit Akash? Yeah. Can you explain a bit? Because yeah, Chit Akash, Chit Akash just means the consciousness is like space. It contains everything. Huh? And it does, isn't contaminated or affected by anything that's in it. Chit means consciousness. It, akash means space. Huh? So it's not something like a memory? No. 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 And another question would like this, this uh, lecture about Vedanta from Krishna few thousand years ago. Would you like explain if you would talk about the Shankaracharya about the same topic or the, the, the same words, the same matter, the same telling uh, no, the people in the in the same way you you, you do now? Well Shankara taught the Gita. He made commentaries on the Gita and he taught the Gita. Yes. He does. He's the same. The, 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 the teaching I'm giving you is based on Shankara's commentary. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, different topic. Uh, you said experience is never overlay. You can only have a single experience at a time. Yeah. I don't really understand because if I have, let's say, a cold and sweet drink, I have uh, uh, experience of a cold beverage and yeah. of a sweet beverage. But all, you, you have a cold when you think the cold thought and you have a sweet taste when you have a sweet thought. Hmm. You don't taste them, but you don't feel them both at the same time. It does look like that, but the thoughts change very quickly. From one when you when you when you touch a sugar molecule, you taste sweet, and when you what when you you switch to the cold molecule, huh? It, uh, then you have the cold thought, and then you pick it up. No, you only experience one thought at a time. You, now, if 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 there was a contamination huh, of one thought to another, then you couldn't function, could you? Here, here's the, here, for example, here I, now you've got a hand thought, right? Well, and a James thought. Well, okay, a James thought, but let's forget the James thought. 
And a hand thought. I have thought. Okay, no. You, let's just say you have a, hand, a, pa a paper thought. <laughs> now you have a paper thought, okay? You're experiencing the paper. How are you experiencing the paper? As a thought in consciousness. Your consciousness. And you're experiencing the paper as a thought. You're not over here experiencing, you're over there. Experiencing. Everybody, other people, everybody else is experiencing the paper, and they're all in different places. Which means what? The paper produces a thought in your mind, the paper thought, and that's what you call. That's what you say. I'm experiencing paper. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. Now, paper's gone. Now, hand. Do you see the hand? Does the paper thought interfere with your knowledge of the hand? <laughs> if, huh? If, <laughs> if, if, if the paper thought remained, then when I put the hand up, you'd see the hand through the paper. Or the paper through the hand, either way. Huh? The mind wouldn't clear, would it? There would be a trace in the mind, but there's no trace in the mind. Huh? You're perfectly clear that this is paper, and you're perfectly clear this is a hand instantly. So your mind was never what? Was never contaminated by two thoughts at once. The mind only picks up, only thinks one thought at a time. It's like a, it, it's like a tube. <laughs> it only has room for one one thought to go down it. And so thoughts go one after another like this, huh? down the tube. They never overlap. If they overlap, we're finished. And between each thought, there's a little gap. There's a, just a tiny space. If you do yoga for a while and do karma yoga for a while, what will happen? The gap will increase and you'll start having spiritual experiences. Why? Because the background light, which is awareness, will shine through the gap, and you'll have epiphanies. Understand? When your mind is really rajasic, the thoughts are packed one right after another, like a train, all stuck together. And you don't see the light that's shining through the thoughts, that's behind the thoughts. Wait. We get into advanced texts and Panchadasi. It explains these things, how, how these things work. So, uh, so there's no contamination of thoughts. There's only one experience all the time. And that's consciousness plus a thought that's appearing. Now, what happens to the thought, what happens to the paper thought when, when, the, when the hand thought comes? Here's the paper thought, and now here's the hand thought, so what happens to the paper thought? It dissolves. Yeah, it goes in the unconscious. It, it go, becomes unmanifest. It gets hidden. Ishvara hides it. It's still present, but it's in a different dimension. Huh? Mm -hmm. And if that created a vasana, then that paper thought will pop up again later on. Hmm? A memory or in the form, or in the form of a vasana. It'll pop up. It can it can be retrieved as a memory, but it's still stored there in the unconscious. If it was a very fleeting, you won't re remember it. But if it was a, an important thought that lasted a long time and was intense, 
then that experience or that thought will, will, will that vasana will generate that experience or, or recreate itself again in front of you and you'll remember or know that or experience that thought again. But if I have a mixture, I, this implies that all thoughts are elementary, doesn't it? What do you mean by elementary? Like paper. Yeah, thoughts are matter. Thoughts, thoughts are exactly like they're in the same... They're the same dimension of reality as paper. That's why thoughts can know paper. If the thoughts were in a different dimension from, from material subjects, then they couldn't know them because they'd be in different dimensions. It would be like infrared and ultraviolet. Huh? You, huh? You, can, you Our eyes can only see what? What's in, in the dimension of the eyes. The eyes have a band of light about this big. And above that is is infrared, and below that is ultraviolet. Mm -hmm. So, huh? So I can only know what's in this band. Understand? But I mean, but, if but, a but, folded paper, for what? instance, if I have a folded paper, then I would have the thought of something being folded and the thought of having paper. So would that? You'll have one after the other. You won't have it. You can't have two thoughts simultaneously. It's not possible. It just doesn't work that way. People think that, that I know it looks like it because yes. thoughts because thoughts pass so fast that uh, thoughts go so fast that it, you can't see the movement of the thoughts. Thoughts go, huh? So it, it, a whole bunch of thoughts can make something look like it's solid. <laughs> like for example, if you watch, if you go to a movie and you see a picture of a mountain on the movie screen, huh? If you go, if you see, you're in a movie, and, you, and you, there's a mountain. Now that mountain stands still, doesn't it? And then all this activity goes on around the mountain. But is that mountain still? No, it's millions of little photons flipping on and off so fast that it looks like they're it's solid. The same in the elevator. The elevator, what? It looks like the arrow's going down, doesn't it? Or the arrow's go the arrow's not going down, is it? That arrow's not going from the top of that little box to the bottom of that box. That's not how it is. The lights are flicking dick, 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 like that, and it makes it look like the arrow's going up. Isn't it? Huh? Understand? <laughs> it's all a trick of perception. You're, we're being continually fooled, constantly, every minute we're being fooled by our perceptive mechanism and our mind. That's what Maya means. That's why they call it an illusion sometimes. It's a projector that's projecting images. Oh, for example, there's lots of examples. Say, tomorrow I'm going on a train. Say I'm driving on a train. And then I come into the station and I stop. Huh? Just sitting there. And then I'm just reading my paper. And suddenly, I, and I'm waiting for a friend who's going to come on in five minutes. And suddenly the train starts. And it's five minutes early. But German trains never leave early. They always leave on time. <laughs> what happened? A train over there started going this way and it felt like I was going this way. I wasn't moving. 
I was sitting still, but I actually in my body felt the sensations of moving and I got anxious. Oh my God, they're starting early. I'm going to miss my friend. I'm sitting still. Nothing actually happened at all, but I thought something was happening. Or another example. Have you ever been on the seashore and seen a boat in the distance, a big, a big boat coming to, to the land? We lived in Spain and we used to go down to the Mediterranean sometimes to have dinner. And then you'd see this big boat, these big ferry boats coming from Africa across. And after they, when they were about 10 or 15 miles out, they were going like at 30 miles an hour. But it, it, they didn't change. <laughs> Even though they're coming toward you at 30 miles an hour, what? They stay exactly the same. And then suddenly they start, looks like they're starting to move. So there, it looks like nothing's happening, but actually something's happening all the time. Something's going on. Movement is taking place, but it looks like it's still. Sometimes it's still, but it looks like it's moving. So, uh, so Maya is tricking us. All, all of our perceptions. Don't believe what your senses tell you. <laughs> but where's your evidence for this um, single threat thought? Um, observation. This is just observation. How can you observe? What is the technique to inquire into? Just quiet your mind and have a look. That's how the yogis did it. That's how the, the yoga, that's how yoga and Vedanta and all that stuff came, just by observation. When your mind is very busy, then you can't see that. Then you have to take it on faith. But when you practice yoga and you shut, and you shut your mind down and you get to observe your mind, you can see all this. And the scriptures clear about it. And the scriptures have no real reason to lie about it. There's no, huh? Like, like, why do you believe, do you believe that these are in you or do you believe they're outside of you? Well, from consciousness point of view, they're what? They're me. And from the body's point of view, they're outside of me. Everything is points of view here. What you know only depends upon the view from which you're looking at them. The position, that's the, called the theory of relativity. There is no absolute position from which to view anything except consciousness. Because consciousness is the only point of view that always stays the same. So if you're establishing consciousness, then you can know anything, with cer everything with certainty. You can, know, huh? you can evaluate things clearly and carefully. But at any point in the Maya world, anything is... Every, whatever you know depends upon your point of view, where you're located, where you're situated in this. It, huh? the, the truth is just what you see. And if I move over to here, it looks different. If I move here, it looks different. If I'm over here, it looks different. Huh? And, when I, and it's always true for me, for, uh, for me, huh? when I see it. It's not true. In, in you know, except for me personally, we call that pratibhasika. It's not empirically true. So, yeah, we're being fooled all the time. In fact, Ishwar said, Krishna said that right in the fourth chapter, he said, "By my Maya, I delude all these beings." Huh? Using Maya, huh? I make it look like it's something other than what it is. 
and they don't know that I'm doing it. <laughs> That's why it's funny. When you know, when you understand Maya, then it's funny. But until you understand Maya, until you, uh -huh, it's not funny at all. <laughs> it's very serious. It's very real. And once you understand this principle, then what? It's really a joke. A big joke. Yes, sir? One question regarding the free will. Uh, is it correct to say that uh, as long as uh, there is identification with the jiva, there is free will from the viewpoint of the jiva? Yes. But in the moment of realization, you see that there is actually no free will and there never has been. That's correct. That's correct. Absolutely. From Ishwar's point of view, there is no free will. From Jiva's point of view, there is free will. That's absolutely correct. That's exactly what. Where's, where's that? Uh, I should read that. Where's that 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 outline? Does anybody have that outline? That I, huh? You have that? Let me give me that. I'll, I'll read you this. It's very nice. I'm too lazy to think it up myself. Thank you. See if I can find it here. See what chapter is that in? Yeah. I'll just have to be patient. Just wait a minute. It's very cool. I'm too tired to remember it right now. So I'll just read it. Uh, be sure to read that. Be sure to study the outline. This will really help you. Um, Here it'll be here. Huh? Is it 18? Did you say 18? Yeah, maybe it's 18, right? 16. Too bad we don't, I can't have a computer, then we could find it. 17. Oh, yeah, it must be here. No, that's not it. Ah, uh, oh, you tired. Oh, darn it. So frustrating. That's my Rogers. I think it's 18. There's is it 18? What does it say? There's, a, there's some sentences about free will at the end of the big paragraph. On eight, page 18? Yeah. But I'm not sure if. You mean the one the middle creation is eternal and explicable? No, uh, side 22, is it? It's chapter 18. Huh? Oh, chapter 18, yeah. That, huh? T page 20. Oh, you said, you said chapter. I was looking on page 20. 22, no? No. I don't know. Have we all got different... Have we all got different... Um, <laughs> copies? We're fooled by Maya. We're fooled by Maya. I don't know. James here. Oh, well, which one? Yeah, okay. you you Let's see it. it. Let's see it. Which one? No, that's not the one. That's no. not no. no. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's page eighteen. You think it's page eighteen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's 
the topic about the uh, free will, faith, likes and dislikes of our media, unreal. Oh, yeah, okay, that, there it is. Where is. But I don't have that in here, do I? Page 18. Yeah, in the middle. Huh? Uh, creation. Yeah. Creation is eternal yeah, and inexplicable. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's right. The nature of creation is presented using a tree metaphor, so forth and so on. Let's see. The Jeevas, the, uh, funny. That's really not the one I was thinking about. There's another one here. Anyway, I don't know. So what's the question? I'll, I'll work it out in my, my head. Um, Oh, is Ishwara a big jiva or not? Does Ish, does Ishwara have likes and dislikes? No. Who has? Huh? Therefore, what is? The, if Ishwara has free will, okay. Is it, if Ishwara has free will, will the creation work? Will the law of karma work? Huh? No. Why not? Because Ishwara will change his mind. Huh? Won't it? Huh? Only Jiva changes its mind because it's fickle, because it has free will. Isn't it? Jiva can alter the course of its karma, but Ishwara can't change the course of karma because Ishwara is the whole setup. So there's, from Ishwara's point of view, there's no free will. Everything is just set up and it works inexorably. And Ishwara is bound by... Huh? The laws. If Ishwara suspends the laws that are operating here, huh, then what will happen? The whole creation goes to pot. So there's no free will from Ishwara's point of view. Ishwara just facilitates Jiva's karma. And if things will continue, as I said earlier, until what Jiva decides that it wants to change its uh, karma. That's, huh, that's the only way Jiva's going to get out is if it exercises its free will and decides to seek the self. Otherwise, it'll just run, uh, run out its its program forever. And at some point, huh, at some point, this happens to everybody, doesn't it? You want to get out, <laughs> and you start you head for the spiritual world because you're told that's the way out. That's an exercise of free will, isn't it? You decide, I'll go to the satsang, I'll start practicing meditation, I'll, whatever. I'll get one of Ramji's videos. I'll go on the YouTube and, and, and I will uh, Google non-duality. <laughs> huh? Huh? I'll Google Vedanta. Right? You, you're not required to Google Vedanta. Huh? No, you, you you understand. I can I can Google Match.com and go looking for a girlfriend, huh? I can Google Vedanta or I can go on Match.com and look at the profiles of all the beautiful women who want to marry me. <laughs> if I do that, if I if I go on Match.com, I'm going to get one kind of karma and one kind of asana. If I go if I Google Vedanta, and then I go to a satsang, I'm going to get another kind of karma. So, Jiva has free will, but Ishwar is not a big doer and enjoyer with likes and dislikes. And Ishwar is not suffering. Ishwar is full. And Ishwar knows it's full. So, 
it, it doesn't need to, to make choices and decisions to try to like what? To try to like fix its problem because Ishwara has no problems. Only Jiva has problems. So thank God Ishwara gave him free will because at least you can get out of your problems if you want. Otherwise, huh? Your goose is cooked. You just have to keep going round and round and round and round until you exercise your free will. And that whole that whole notion of Ramesh is, you know, you're not the doer. <laughs> that what does that do? Yeah, it just keeps you stuck. You think you, you heard that you're not the doer, and so what do you do? You don't exercise your free will. You you exercise free will by not doing what you think is not doing. So you don't do what will get you out because you've been told that doing won't solve you the problem or that you're not the doer, but you are the doer. <laughs> as long as you think you're the doer, you're the doer, and then you do have free will. There, are, uh, You have no choice about whether you exist or not, basically, because that's all up to Ishwara. But within this setup here, there are relative choices. You have relative free will. So. Anyway, thank you. I'm sorry. I couldn't find it. It was just such a nice thing. Maybe I just wrote it in my mind. Sometimes I dream these satsangs. I, I'll... No, really. In the middle of the night, I'll dream a whole satsang. And then when I wake up, I think it was, you know, it was a real satsang. Well, it was. It was real in the dream. Because huh? <laughs> my mind is just, it's just, uh, it's just, Vedanta, that's all it is. There's nothing else in there to think about. So the vasanas are all satsang vasanas. <laughs> which is good. Which is very good. Okay, so are we finished? Right, let's go to you. Uh, tomorrow we you got, what, 17? That's an easy one. 18 is a summary. And then we'll say sayonara. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.